the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Joseph was a dreamer of dreams, and he could interpret dreams when God gave them to others and to himself. He had insight, wisdom off the charts. He was like a walking quantum computer. He was the Merlin of his day. Thanks for joining us today for Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Mike's message today is entitled, The Sorcerer's Cup. We'll bring you the first portion of this message. And if you miss any portion, make sure that you stop by the website, reachingyourheart.com, a little later. You'll find all of it there. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at reachinghearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentango. Let's pray. Dear Father God, as we bow our heads, we're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful that we have love. We're grateful that we are loved. We're grateful that somehow grace has found a way to save us. But none of us here know how to save any of us. You're the saving God, and for this we rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. Arthur C. Clarke, the scientist and author of 2001 A Space Odyssey, in his book Profiles of the Future, wrote this succinct and profound statement concerning the nature of an advanced technology And what it might mean for those who possess it. You know, if you have technology off the charts, what would that really mean? Here's what he wrote in his work, Profiles of the Future. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Elon Musk has quoted that many a time. He says, look, when our technology gets to the place we can go to Mars, we can break the boundaries of our solar system, it's technological magic. And so wisdom can fool the mind enough to believe that it's magic. When you get technology, it's off the charts. When we consider the life of Joseph, we should not forget that Joseph came upon the scene in ancient Egypt as a man larger than life, with ideas that seem magical and marvelous in his time. Like Merlin the wizard in King Arthur's court, we see Joseph, dreamer of dreams, Joseph's wisdom was godlike to the ancient Egyptians and his ideas profound because they came from God, a man infused with the mind of God. We've been told that the prophets have the mind of God diffused within them. And so when they speak, God speaks. And I've heard theologians make light of that idea. But if the word of the prophets is not the word of God, what does it mean to us? Nothing. God speaks. God's mind comes through holy men of God. Joseph was a holy man of God. Like Noah, who built the ark to save 
his family, and the animals of the earth, Joseph embarked on projects in agriculture and engineering designed to save the world. Joseph was a dreamer of dreams, and he could interpret dreams when God gave them to others and to himself. He had insight, wisdom off the charts. He was like a walking quantum computer. He was the Merlin of his day. It is one thing to have a dream and to appreciate others who can dream. Well, many people can say, well, let me interpret your dream. Sigmund Freud was into dream interpretation, among others. But it's another thing to explain those dreams accurately at a higher level. And it's utterly amazing when a dreamer of dreams can make a dream come true, when he can take the abstract and the unseen and bring it into reality. Joseph was not just the dreamer of dreams. He was the builder of dreams. Joseph was an implementer, a doer, a builder, an organizer the engineer. And because his achievements were so amazing, the Egyptians revered him as a sorcerer, lord, or magician. Don't read the text of Genesis with any other point of view. Joseph was larger than life in ancient Egypt. Joseph was a kingdom builder with powers to amaze, and they knew it. He was a man with a grand vision to save the world when most men didn't know how to save their own families. Few men have risen in history to greatness like Joseph. Few men can be trusted with greatness like Joseph. Now think about it. Joseph mobilized the most powerful military nation on earth. He mobilized that nation for a peacetime adventure to save the world of both good and bad people with his God-given advances in agriculture, food storage systems, engineering projects like the Bar Yusuf, the waterway of Joseph that connected the Nile River to the Fayum in Egypt, delivering water to the desert. He transformed the desert. This and many other grand enterprises must have stunned Pharaoh and his kingdom full of people who worshiped the gods, the ignorant gods that were not gods at all. Ancient Egypt was famous for its big talkers and its petty magicians. Have you ever met a big talker? Someone just talks big. Well, you know, I'm the greatest person in the world. Sure you have. Do you have any in your family? I'm not asking you to raise your hand and say I'm that. I mean, every family has one of them. Well, I'm about to do great things and this and that. And you just kind of all sit there and go, yeah. Well, Egypt was full of big talkers. How do we know? You can look right on the stone inscriptions. You can see the evidence of this. And there were petty magicians. Uh, Magic was the game they played in Egypt. Why do you have magic? They had magic so they could control others. They could control the environment. They could control the gods. But Joseph was a man of few words. A man rescued from the prison of the roundhouse who was trapped in the circle of the mundane for the best years of his life who suddenly by the providence of God strolls upon the scene of human history because in Joseph, God sent a man to save the world. And as he comes upon Upon the scene, with wisdom and doubt of God, he must have appeared like Merlin the magician, or the Connecticut in King Arthur's court, as Samuel Clemens wrote. You know, he wrote Mark Twain and the like, but Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court, like Merlin the magician, he was larger than life. He appeared to be the sorcerer king. His technology was grand, and so the people revered him as the food started piling up in Pharaoh's coffers, and Egypt became the breadbasket of the world. Joseph was a humble man. He was revered as the greatest man of his time by Pharaoh and the people of his kingdom. But he didn't take it to heart like he was something great. When Joseph was sold into Egypt, 
God sent a man to save the world. And that man who walked with God was larger than life. And friend, if you walk with God, if you are honest with God, in your humble state, if you choose to make a difference for God, God can use you to save the world. That is your circle of concern. For them, though, Joseph was the magician. He was the man who had been endowed with these properties that no one else had. But they did not know that Joseph was God's man first and always. They simply saw the effects of this mighty man. When Joseph's brothers came to Egypt, they had no idea what God was doing for them and through them. And the world through their brother that they had thought that they had sold to Egypt to die. They had no idea that God was spinning a tale of providence that would reach to our day. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 42, where we find Joseph and his brothers all together once again. Joseph knew them when he met them. He knew that these were his brothers. And Joseph interrogated them through a proxy. He scared them witless and accused them of being spies in the land. That serious offense would have brought the death penalty, and they knew it. And so they were terrified of this interaction with this great monarch. They defended themselves as they confessed among themselves that this evil came upon them because God had judged them for abusing Joseph, whom they had presumed dead. And Joseph, they thought, did not hear this. They didn't think this mighty man heard them because they didn't know that he knew Hebrew. And as they were speaking in Hebrew of their crimes, he heard them confessing before themselves that they had done this to him. Joseph heard it all, but they didn't know. He knew. And so what did he do? Joseph slipped away and he wept for them and himself. When Joseph returned, a plan crystallized in his mind to spin on them like a wizard would. He arrested Simeon as surety. And he instructed the rest to not return unless they brought their younger brother Benjamin to him to prove that they were not spies. You bring your brother back, I'll know you're not lying. You don't bring your brother back, Simeon stays in jail, you better not come back. And that is where the story picks up in Genesis 42, verse 25. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their asses with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender at the lodging place, the hotel, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what, here's the question, what is this that God has done to us? It suddenly gets personal. It suddenly gets religious. It suddenly has to do with how God is relating to them. It is no longer the horizontal tension of the struggle with this man, but the vertical tension of their struggle with God. The Hebrew says literally that their hearts went out from them and they quaked. Imagine your heart jumping out of your chest and your whole body shaking. That's the picture. Fear, raw fear set in. And Joseph's brothers were terrified of the man larger than life that they had left behind in Egypt. And somehow, because of this Lord of the land, they were now afraid of the Lord of the universe, of God himself. I ask you the question, how many times in life have you and me, have we done the same thing? Have we encountered a struggle in life? And that struggle in life then becomes our struggle with God. Some sin lodged deep in the memory comes out at the right time. When things go bad, so as to convince your heart and mind that God is not your friend but a fiend, it is a universal principle that when we feel challenged around 
and we feel attacked by others, it is so easy to feel that God is the one doing it. There's something untamed in all of us that is afraid of God, and somehow our sin makes it worse. Joseph's brothers had sinned big time, and now they were expecting God to be the grim reaper in their lives, that somehow what was happening to them was because of what they did. When they arrived home, they told their father everything that happened to them in Egypt. It was no doubt the talk of the clan, as the men one by one disclosed the story of what had happened and why they returned as ten rather than eleven. They acted like victims because in their own minds they were defeated. Men who had left their brother Simeon behind. They had gone to get food. They lost a brother in the journey. They referred to Joseph, not as Joseph, because they didn't know that Joseph was Joseph. They just referred to him as the Lord of the land. And they said, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke very harshly to us. Have you ever had someone speak to you and they spoke so badly that it just lingered with you? It stuck with you maybe for months or years? That person humiliated me? Has that ever happened to anybody here? But when it does, when someone speaks just the right way, they pull the right strings, they attack you in the heart where it hurts the most, you can carry that for years. He accused us, they said, of being spies. And then we told him that we are honest men and not spies. And we said we are 12 brothers, the sons of our father, and one of our brothers is dead. We told him all of that. And the youngest, his brother, is still alive and he is with our father. And then they shared with Jacob the words of the Lord of the land that made him tremble. And they trembled again in the presence of their father. Look at verse 33. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver you your brother, that was Simeon, who was arrested, and you shall trade in the land. So look, you bring Benjamin here, you bring your younger brother, everything will be fine, you'll be free, you can trade. I'm not going to give you more trouble. Then they told him, that is Jacob their father, that they opened their bags. And after they bought the food, and behold, they looked in the bags and all the money was there. And they said this like, what crazy kind of thing is going on here? And when they opened their bags and saw that every man's money was in his bag, they were so astonished and amazed that they felt that this must be a harbinger of some evil thing that was getting ready to happen to them. The Revised Standard Version reads in verse 35 that they were dismayed. The Hebrew says literally they were terrified or afraid. The Greek Old Testament translates the phrase with the Greek word phobao, from which we get our word phobia. When they counted the money in their bags, a great phobia and fear, terror, dread settled on them. Jacob's family was a dysfunctional family like many of ours, but maybe worse. How many families are truly functional? Someone says, well, mine is, right? I don't think there's such a thing. Every family struggles with some form of dysfunction in that family. It is not safe to say, I have a functional family. In humility, we should say we have a family that God is growing, that we have a family with challenges, but God is with us. Every family, in some sense, is dysfunctional. Friends, God works in and for dysfunctional families to reveal his grace, to heal the wounds, to make up for the failures and sins of children and parents, and to give a future and a hope that can go on. God loves every family. Maybe you're asking the question today, Pastor Mike, what about my family? 
My family, nobody knows the trouble we're going through in my family. It's awful. Look, God knows the trouble that you're going through in your family. God knows the struggles you have as a parent. He knows the tension that may exist between you and your children or between siblings. And our God is in the healing business for hurt and damaged families, friends. If it weren't true, we wouldn't have this story of Joseph and his brothers and their dysfunctional father who became the father that is Israel, the father of the sacred line. Jacob, the patriarch of the plan was a far from ideal father who quickly blamed his sons for the pain and the foreboding that he himself feared would come true because of them, not him, them. He projected it all on his children. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. When bad things happen to a parent's dreams, it's amazing. Parents can live out their fantasies and dreams in the lives of their children. They can manipulate their children so they can get what they want in life. And when bad things happen to a parent's dreams, it's easy to blame the child for the loss of the future, the hope that is the parent's hope. You know, a good parent will script a future but not dominate it, will cast a vision but allow the child to catch it, and will then let the child go so they can return as an adult friend. That's what Jacob did not do. He hung on to Benjamin. And he didn't care so much about the others. He picked and chose. He was struggling through his own issues. And thus he was a dysfunctional father. Now what I find to be amazing, he was a prophet. He was a prophet who was a dysfunctional father. Some people say, well, prophets have to be perfect. No, prophets don't have to be perfect. Prophets are prophets. If God speaks through a man or woman, imperfect though they be, that man or woman carries the word of God. Jacob had that power. But he also had problems in his life. Look at Genesis 42, 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come upon me. Boy, that's painful stuff. You read that, and you go, this guy is going through pain off the Richter scale. The first word out of his mouth is, You. (laughs) You did this to me. You failed me. You are the reason I lost my children. Not just Simeon here. Jacob uses the plural word in Hebrew for children, sons. He blames them for the loss of two of his children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And it's all your fault because of you. Jacob was a prophet and he didn't even know that as a prophet, he was accusing his sons with prophetic power. He was right. Because of them, he had lost Joseph and Simeon. He didn't know that a prophet's words cannot come back and that a prophet's words are always true in some way to God and men. He was here projecting the truth and they heard it. They knew deep inside that their father was right. They were the reason why Joseph died. And now Simeon was left behind the hands of the Lord of the land. Whatever fear they had when Jacob spoke, it became terror that ripped their hearts out of their chests when they heard him speak to them the truth. 
that they had hid from him all their life. You have bereaved me of my children, both Joseph and Simeon. And then he uses the word you again. You would also steal or take Benjamin away from me. And then Jacob speaks like a victim, just like his sons learned to do so well from him. Parents who like to think that they are victims will teach their children to be victims. And friend, if you find yourself falling into a victim mentality, get out of it. Your children need to be optimized with hope, faith, with a vision for the future. There is no place for a victim to be a success. God does not call us to be victims. But Jacob was a victim. And he said this. He said, all this has come upon me. I am a poor old me because of you. That's a heavy load for any son or daughter to carry. Imagine if you're a boy or a girl or, or, and you hear your parents say something, you know, my life was ruined because of you. And you have to pick yourself up and move into the future with that kind of a load on you. That's what he did. It's a heavy load for any son or daughter to carry. But Joseph's brothers knew that their father was a prophet and that in some sense he was right. He'd lost Joseph. His life had been diminished because they had sinned against their father and lied and kept it to themselves. When a father overreacts, and fathers can, and mothers can as well, don't be surprised if the children do the same thing. You know, if you're a drama queen or a drama king as a parent, don't be surprised if your kids grow up to be that way. Jacob had accused them of murdering his sons, Joseph and Simeon, which was over-the-top kind of talk that he should have avoided as a parent. But then Reuben, his firstborn, who had defiled his father's bed by lying with one of his concubines, overreacted just like daddy did. Genesis 42:37. Then Reuben said to his father, Slay my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. I mean, this is crazy stuff. I mean, this is a trailer park kind of culture. I mean, I used to live near a trailer park and I've lived in a trailer park. And I know what trailer park kind of culture is. I mean, this is dysfunctional talk. Uh, Reuben, as the hero child, the firstborn pops up, says, oh, by the way, kill my two sons if I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Reuben steps in to be the hero at the expense of his two boys who just need a dad to be stable. His father accused him of killing Joseph and Simeon. And now he says to his father, go ahead and kill my two boys if I don't fix it for you, dad. His words don't fix a thing. They only make it worse. They just make it worse because his two sons have just heard their daddy say that it's okay to lose them to make grandpa feel better. How much worth do you think that communicated to these two boys? This kind of slogging it out has to stop for children to be healed in a home. Someone has to step up to the plate and not assume the role of victim or a hero anymore. God has not called a parent to be a victim and God has not called a parent to be a hero. God has called mom and dad to be mom and dad, to provide security and to leave the drama out of the home. Children need parents who love them, who protect them, who stand in the gap with a healthy dose of reason, security, faith, and love, and purpose that's given of God. And when they latch on to these things in their own relationship with God, they pass them on to their children. Reuben doesn't say God will bring Benjamin back. Notice what he says. He says, I will bring him back. And I'm sure Jacob thought this was all wind coming from the son who couldn't control his passions enough to leave his marriage bed alone. Jacob would later say this of Reuben, Genesis 49, verse 3 to 4. 
Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in pride and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed and then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. At this point, Jacob digs in deep to save what little life and hope he has left in him. He's a crushed old man. He's a victim, old man. He has gone through so much stuff that his days have been awful. He would later say at the end of his life, my days have not acquired to the days of my fathers and they've been full of trouble. And he shouts out the answer to them all. He says, no, no. Look at verse 38. He said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is only left. If harm should befall him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to shield. Think about what Jacob is saying here. He doesn't say, my sons. He says, my son. Did you catch that? He doesn't say, my sons. He says, my son. He's not talking to the other ten like they are his children at all. He's talking to them like they are not his children, and only Benjamin is his son. That nuance is very important in the storyline. He uses two words that define the whole dysfunctional relationship. He says, my son, and he calls them you. My son, you. Not your brother, but my son. And you are the problem because implied in the use of the pronoun you is the crystal clear idea that these less than stellar brothers are not his sons in his heart and mind. Pain can do that to you, and that's what happened to Jacob here. Well, we need to say amen there for today's broadcast to the Sorcerer's Cup. We will continue with Pastor Michael Loxentenko's message the next time we get together. Thank you so much for joining us today, and have a pleasant weekend. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland. 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.